Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-ladhin astafa. Khususan ala Sayyidi Rasul wa Khatim al-Anbiya wa ala alihi al-Azkiya wa ashabihi al-Atqiya. Amma ba'd. Tonight we turn to the story of Sayyida Asma bint Abi Bakr. She is a great companion, the daughter of a companion, the granddaughter of a companion, and her son Abdullah was also a companion of Rasulullah. One of the few who have this honor that her four generations were all Sahaba of Rasulullah. And her father wasn't just any person. He was the closest to Rasulullah And her sister, Aisha radiallahu anha, was the most beloved to Rasulullah Asma radiallahu anha's relationship with Rasulullah started prior to migration while she was still a young girl. When her father accepted Islam, he presented Islam to his family members. And Asma radiallahu anha was one of, the, one, of the, one of the members of his family that accepted Islam right in the early days. Some historians say she was in the first 17 to accept Islam. Her mother, Qutayla, did not accept Islam. And it was for this reason that from the wives of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu Qutayla bint Abdul Uzza was the one that he actually divorced. They were married, they had children. He presented Islam to Qutayla. When she rejected, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anh made it clear to her that there was no commonality between them anymore and this relationship could no longer exist. Her mother remained outside of the folds of Islam right until the end. And later on tonight, we'll come to a narration where Asma radiallahu anha, later in her life, after migration, has a very interesting interaction with her mother and doesn't know how to handle it. So she turns to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa for that clarity. The historians have written that Asma radiallahu anha was around 10 years older than Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. She was intelligent, very smart. Surrounded by the brightest minds. From a young age, she saw 
what her father Abu Bakr Siddiq was willing to do for the sake of the deen and how far he was willing to go for Rasulullah And there is no better tarbiyah than that. That a child grows up seeing their ideals in their parents. Abu Bakr Siddiq was by the side of Rasulullah at every step of the way. So when she is called to duty, when it's her turn to serve Rasulullah it comes very, very naturally. She was a courageous woman, very strong, very bold. She had no fear of anyone, no one could intimidate Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha. Hisham bin Urwa narrates, كَثْرَ اللُّسُوسُ Madina That at some point, there became a large number of bandits in Medina. People were stealing from the city of Medina. فَاتَّخَذَتْ أَسْمَاءُ خِنْجَرًا زَمَنَ سَعِيدِ بْنِ الْعَاصِ كَانَتْ تَجَعَلُهُ تَحْتَ رَأْسِهَا so Asma radiallahu anha had a dagger that she would keep under her pillow in case anyone broke in or decided to make a move on her or her possessions Asma radiallahu anha was ready to deal with the affairs herself she would sleep with the dagger right under her pillow Asma radiallahu anha was very intelligent Imam Waqid rahimahullah ta'ala says kana Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib min a'bar nasi lir-ru'ya Sayyid ibn Musayyib radiallahu ta'ala an rahimahullahu ta'ala Sayyid al-Tabi'in He was known to be the leader of his people when it came to interpreting dreams. Where did Sayyid learn in dream interpretation? أَخَذَ ذَلِكَ عَنْ أَسْمَاءَ بِنْتِ أَبِي بَكْرِ He learned the art of dream interpretation from Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha. Where did Asma radiallahu anha learn this from? وَأَخَذَ عَنْ أَبِيهَا and she learned it from Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anh. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anh was trained directly by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You'll see in the collection of hadith that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would uh, turn to the companions and ask them to interpret dreams. And specifically there is an interaction between Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anh. It's a famous narration where he told Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq to interpret a dream, and then Rasulullah made the corrections where needed. That this is how you interpreted it, this is what should have happened. This is actually what this, this word meant. This is actually what this scene represented. Abu Bakr Siddiq learned from Rasulullah dream interpretation. He then passed it on to Asma anha. And then Asma anha had many students. When Rasulullah intended his migration from Makkah Mukarramah to Medina Munawwara, many of the companions had already started their journeys. The Prophet ﷺ went towards the tail end. For over two months the Sahaba had been migrating from Makkah Mukarramah to Medina. The Prophet ﷺ waited because he knew that once he left, the Quraysh would increase their antics. They would go really hard. And the people that were left behind, they would have a tough time in migration. On top of that, Rasulullah was waiting for explicit permission from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because a Nabi does not leave his people until granted permission by Allah azawajal, as we learn from the story of Sayyidina Yunus alayhi salam. So the Prophet waited one day during the midday hours at a time where Rasulullah would not go to meet people. People would be at their homes resting, spending time with their families, 
the Prophet ﷺ shows up to the house of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an. And the family members, they say that this was a time the Prophet generally wouldn't meet us. When the Prophet ﷺ entered, he said to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an that Allah has granted permission to migrate. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an immediately said, O Messenger of Allah, allow me to be your companion. To that, Nabi ﷺ said, this is exactly why I'm here. You and I are going to take this journey on together. So the Prophet ﷺ heads back. Abu Bakr Siddiq takes full responsibility of preparation for the hijrah. And the first people that he tags in are his family members. Asma anha has a duty. Abdullah, the son of Abu Bakr Siddiq has a duty. Aisha and her brother Abdurrahman, who are both from one mother, they did not have any specific responsibility uh, during the hijrah because they were much younger. But Asma radiallahu anha and her haqiqi brother Abdullah, who were both children of Qutayla, they were older in age, so they played an active role. The brother would bring the news to the Prophet wasallam and Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anha and keep them updated on what was going on in, in Mecca. Now, when Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anha had everything in place, he informed Rasulullah wasallam. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam started the hijrah. The Quraysh at that time had surrounded the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because they have been given advice by shaitan who came in the form of a senior member. And that advice was, now is the time for you to kill this man. So they surrounded the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made dua to Allah and left right between them without them seeing him. Ali radiallahu an was in the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because there were some um, amanat, some trust that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam held that belonged to the Meccans and that needed to be returned. The next morning when they saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wasn't there, they began to search. And the first place, even the Quraysh Abu Jahl and co realized they should search was the house of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an. Because their bond and relationship was unquestionable even by the enemies. When they came, Ibn Ishaq narrates that Abu Jahl approached the house with a group of people. فَخَرَجَتْ إِلَيْهِمْ Asma radiallahu anha, she is the narrator. So she says that, I came forward and I, فَخَرَجْتُ إِلَيْهِمْ I came out to meet them. فَقَالُوا أَيْنَ أَبُوكِ Where's your father? Because wherever he is, that's where the Prophet is. فَقُلْتُ لَا أَدْرِي وَاللَّهِ أَيْنَ هُوَ so she said, by Allah, I don't know where they are. Abu Bakr Siddiq was very particular about his intelligence. He had compartmentalized the information. Where are we going to be? When are we going to be? How long are we going to be there? She said, I don't know. فَرَفَعَ أَبُوْ جَهْلٍ يَدَهُ وَلَطَمَ خَدِّي لَطْمَةً خَرَّ مِنْهَا قُرْتِي ثُمَّ انصرفوا. That Abu Bakr Siddiq's daughter, Asma says that in that moment, Abu Jahl, he raised his hand and he hit her really hard. She had an ornament on, it came out. He hit her really hard. And Asma radiallahu anha, this was her jihad, this was her, her patience, this was her moment that she had to join her father in his struggle for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa This for her wasn't something that she had shame of. She had great pride in this. That there was a day in my life that I was also struck because I defended Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And that's the interesting thing about the companions, that the difficulties they faced in practicing their deen was not something they were afraid of or something they hid from. It was something they took pride in. That when a person serves the deen and at the end of the deen, they're, at the end of the day, they're tired or exhausted or they faced one challenge or another, it's not something that they frown on. It's a moment of pride actually, that at least that moment in my life, I exerted myself for the sake of this deen. Maybe that moment will take me to Jannah. Because these moments of sacrificing for the deen will also pass by. And then we'll return back to our lives where all we do is sacrifice for the material. Every morning and evening there is a sacrifice for the material. One person wakes up in the morning to go to a madrasa to study. Another person wakes up in the morning to go to work to study. Now, going to work is not a bad thing, but it's not the same as waking up and going to a classroom where your day will be spent, قَالَ اللَّهُ قَالَ رَسُولُ The two are not the same. There's a difference. But there's a reward in both of them. Don't be mistaken. Right? So Asma radiallahu anha, what she did that day, that pain that she endured, the sacrifice she took on, was something that you must never forget she saw in her own father. There was no difficulty there. She saw Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anha get beaten the lights out of him, where his life was in the scale that they weren't sure if he was going to live or not. It was hanging by a thread. She saw that when Abu Bakr woke up, the first thing that he asks for is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then refuses to eat until he lays his eyes on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You want to teach the next generation anything. You want to teach them the lesson of sacrifice. You wish to teach them the lesson of loving the Qur'an. You wish to teach them to have a bold, strong Muslim identity. You wish to teach them on how to balance their material slash family slash work life with the deen, these are things that are taught through action. You want to teach someone to fall in love with dhikr. You want to teach someone to be loyal to the hadith of Rasulullah wasallam. Make it a priority in your own life. Let your child see you do dhikr every day. Let your child see you turn to Allah when you're struggling. Let your family members see you open the Qur'an before you go to sleep and open the Qur'an when you wake up in the morning. Let your child see you sit down with the family and read a few ahadith of Rasulullah wasallam. Let them see what it is that you stand for. What it is that you believe in. Because that will be the strongest lesson. Those memories are burnt into their memory. Those thoughts that we are trying to convey to them through words are rather experienced. And they don't enter from one means of entry point, they enter from all orifices of the human body. That this message is universal. I saw my father live by this life. I told you guys when I was in Denver about that young man who I met. Who, you know, himself, he was still trying to figure out what to do with his life and what was next. But one thing that he knew, and I was a person that he had met for no more than at that point, two minutes. And he's telling me that my father loved Allah and His Rasul This is what he remembers. That my father loved Allah and His Rasul He spent his life doing da'wah and tabligh, traveling from community to community. That's what my father did. He saw that in him. Asma radiallahu anha. Now, when the journey starts, Rasulullah wasallam and Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anha decide to spend three nights in Ghar Thawr to throw the Quraysh off of their trail. 
Asma radiallahu anha knows that it's her task to deliver food to them. At that point, she's already married. Married to Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anha. I'll speak more about this shortly. So she's married and she's pregnant with her child. And she is the one that has the responsibility of delivering food to Ghar al Why her? Because the Quraysh will suspect her the least. They don't expect her to be the one that will lead them, lead, her, lead them to him. Why? Because she's pregnant. Talk to someone who's pregnant, they have headaches and they're throwing up and back pain. It's difficult for them to move. And they're, you know, they're worried about their health at all times. But Asma radiallahu anha, what's in her mind at that moment? That she's ready to climb a mountain. And Ghar Thawr, if you look at the, the actual cave, it's not at the base of the mountain. It's not in the middle of the mountain. If you go online and search an image of Ghar Thawr, you will see where does this cave, where does this cave lie? Anyone know? Right at the top. There's no step to take once you reach Ghar Thawr. There's nowhere left to go. Right at the top. So Asma radiallahu anha shows the world a lesson and teaches them a lesson of athleticism. But this athleticism is not a result of treadmill and elliptical and stairmaster. This is a result of iman. And you must remember this statement of mine. It's not a loose statement. I carefully thought about this. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anha, he fought by the side of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in so many battles. Someone asked Ali radiallahu an once, who was more courageous, you or Abu Bakr? So Ali radiallahu an said, Abu Bakr was more courageous and a more fierce fighter than everyone. Why? Because in the battle of Badr, Ali radiallahu an says, every person was trying to defend themselves. We had to face two, three people at once. Everyone was protecting themselves and fighting and fighting in groups. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an in the battle of Badr wasn't fighting for himself. He was only focused on defending Rasulullah That's all he was doing. That's what his battle was. And Abu Bakr Siddiq was, wasn't some meaty, bulky person. He was very thin. Today in Mishkat, we read the riwayah, Mishkat 2. That Abu Bakr Siddiq he, uh, he, he said to Rasulullah that I can't keep my lower garment above my hip unless I keep pulling it up again and again. His waistline was thin. That, you know, Nabi Sallallahu said that whoever drags their garment um, out of boastfulness under their ankles will be in the fire of hell. He said, our Messenger of Allah, I, I can't. I can't keep my pants above my ankles. They keep slipping down. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, إِنَّكَ لَسْتَ مِنَ الْخُيَلَى You are not one of the people that is boastful. You are not an arrogant person. And this shows us, this, this, there are so many lessons to learn from this. But on one side, we also learn Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an's frame. But he still fought and nothing stopped him. He was by Rasulullah wasallam's side in building all the masajid and digging out the trench and by the side of Rasulullah wasallam in every battle and even after Rasulullah wasallam, because their strength was driven by purpose. Their sacrifice was driven by purpose. Don't get caught into you know, believing that your strength purely and only originates from your dieting and your weightlifting. That's good. That's good stuff too. You know, you got to keep yourself healthy. But deeper than that, your strength is actually driven by what motivates you. You know, once I was reading a book of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he was addressing this issue of how do you push yourself through the last rep? 
you know, right when you're in that last rep and you know that this is the important one and you got the weights in your hand and you're, you're mid rep and you're in a lot, a lot, a lot of pain. So how does he pull through it? So he said, you know, in that moment, right while I'm struggling, I close my eyes and I just fixate on the body image that I'm struggling for and I just push through. Because that's where the strength comes from, from your purpose. It comes from what you can envision. It comes from your dream. And for Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an, his dream was one, to be the closest companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And nothing was going to come between him and that. And Asma radiallahu anha sees the same thing. So it's time for her to take the food to the top of the mountain. And so no one notices her. Asma radiallahu anha, she takes a scarf that she had. And she rips it into two. And ties the food around her body and supports her back with that. And climbs the mountain. And therefore earns her herself the title of Dhatan Nitaqin. The one with two scarves. She had one scarf, she ripped it in half. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made dua for her and said, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you your scarf in Jannah. And she gained that dua from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As I mentioned, Asma radiallahu anha was married to Sayyidina Zubair ibn al-Awwam radiallahu who was also from the Ashra Mubashara, from one of the ten promised paradise. Everything about her is just epic. Whichever angle you look at it from, one of these angles would have been enough for a person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave her all of them. Alhamdulillah. Zubair ibn al-Awwam radiallahu was young, she was young. However, in the narrations, when you study Zubair radiallahu an's life where he was at that point when he married her, كَانَ شَابًا مُرْمِلًا كَانَ شَابًا مُرْمِلًا مُرْمِلًا means فَقِيرًا He wasn't too well off financially. لَيْسَ لَهُ خَادِمٌ أَوْ مَالٌ يُوَسِّعُ بِهِ عَلَىٰ عِيَالِهِ غَيْرَ فَرَسٍ اِقْتَنَاهَا He had one horse that he used for traveling and for the battle. Outside of that, he had no servant to help at home. He didn't have much wealth to provide for his family. So, Asma radiallahu anha played a very powerful role in their marriage. She was by his side through those tough days. And she was with him in taking care of the chores of the household. Asma radiallahu anha in one, narrat one narration as narrated by Imam Ahmad, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim. She says, تَزَوَّجَنِي الزُّبَيْرُ وَمَا لَهُ شَيْءٌ غَيْرُ فَرَسِهِ فَكُنْتُ أَسُوسُهُ وَأَعْلِفُهُ وَأَدُقُ لِنَاضِحِهِ النَّوَى وَأَسْتَقِي وَأَعْجِنْ وَكُنْتُ أَنْقُلُ النَّوَى مِنْ أَرْضِ الزُّبَيْرِ الَّتِي أَقْطَعَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمْ عَلَى رَأْسِ so she says that I, you know, I helped him in all aspects of life. Wherever Zubair needed assistance, I was his wife, I was there with him. All maintaining the animals and taking care of the land and everything. So she says, I used to carry the, the pits. I had the date pits and I would carry them from the land of Zubair that was given to him by Rasulullah to our home. And one time, it was, a, it was at a distance. فَجِئْتُ يَوْمًا وَالنَّوَىٰ عَلَىٰ رَأْسِي One day I was heading back home after picking them up from the field. 
And while I was on, heading back, the dates were on my head. فَلَقِيتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ مَعَهُ نَفَرٌ Nabi was passing by with a group of Sahaba and he saw Asma in the heat carrying a basket on her head, a weight on her head with pits. Fada'ani, Nabi called me, ikh, ikh, liyahmilani khalfahu. He said, come here, come here, called her. And then he made a sound like he was inviting her on the animal, that why don't you ride, how are you going to walk all the way to Medina Munawwara? Here's an animal, you can ride it. Asma radiallahu anha says, فَاسْتَحْيَيْتُ وَذَكَرْتُ الزَّبَيْرُ وَغَيْرَتَهُ That I turned away when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam offered me uh, to ride. And I remembered my husband Zubair and how he is very protective like this. قَالَتْ فَمَضَى Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw her haya and he left. فَلَمَّا أَتَيْتُ أَخْبَرْتُ الزُّبَيْرُ and I came back home, I told Zubayr radiallahu فَقَالَ وَاللَّهِ لَحَمْلُكِ النَّوَى كَانَ أَشَدَّ عَلَيَّ مِنْ رُكُوبِكِ مَعَهُمْ He said, had you taken the ride, it would have been better than carrying the, the, date, the date pits. Imagine how hard that was on her, the way, the difficulty she had to take on. He said, you could have just taken the ride with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa قَالَتْ حَرْتَ أَرْسَلَ إِلَيَّ أَبُو بَكْرٍ بَعْدُ بِخَادِمٍ and then he made an intention that I'm going to give my daughter a khadim so she doesn't have to do this anymore. فَكَفَتْنِي سِيَاسَةُ الْفَرَسِ فَكَأَنَّمَا أَعْتَقَنِي Finally that servant did come in and now the servant took care of the horses and took care of this and took care of that. It was as if that day I was relieved of so many responsibilities. Now this riwayah, it's a sahih riwayah. Obviously there is a question that how did Rasulullah invite Asma anha to ride on an animal when they are ghair mahram? In Islam, we know the ruling of avoiding physical contact between men and women. So addressing this, Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani says that فَكَأَنَّهَا فَهِمَتْ ذَلِكَ مِنْ قَرِينَةِ الْحَالِ that it's possible that Asma radiallahu anha assumed that Rasulullah invited her to the animal that he was sitting on. That may be an assumption on her part, that Rasulullah invited her to sit on the same animal he was on. Otherwise, uh, had she accepted, Rasulullah would have given her her own animal because there were a group of people there and allowed her to carry her load on the animal and he himself would have taken another animal. This is how Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani comments on this. Imam al-Nawwi because it is a riwayah of Sahih Muslim too. While commenting on this riwayah, he says that وَفِيهِ مَا كَانَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ مِنَ الشَّفَقَةِ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ That from this riwayah we see the, the, the love and compassion Rasulullah had on the believing men and the believing women. And then Imam Nawawi says, in this riwayah we can also see, وَفِيهِ جَوَازُ إِرْدَافِ الْمَرْأَةِ أَلَّتِي لَيْسَتْ مُحْرِمًا إِذَا وَجِدَتْ فِي طَرِيقٍ وَقَدْ أَعْيَتْ That in it is also the permissibility of giving a ride to a female even though she may not be a relative, if she is found on the path and she is exhausted and tired. Right? 
he looks at this from a, uh, a more dahiri perspective that maybe Rasulullah <laughs> was giving her that right. Obviously, this was nothing private. It was a public affair. She says that when Rasulullah stopped, there were a group of people there. So this was nothing private at all. There's no khalwa. And then Imam Nawawi says, وَلَا شَكَّ فِي جَوَازِ مِثْلِ هَذَا And there is no doubt in the permissibility of this. So he's looking at this from a perspective of darura. That if you have a situation where there's snowing outside and it's snow everywhere and you see a Muslim female on the side, help that person out. You know, help that person out. Don't just leave them there. That's what Imam Nawawi is saying. وَقَالَ الْقَاضِي عِيَاذ قَاضِي عِيَاذ مَالِكِ رَحْمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى While commenting on the same hadith, he said, هذا خاص للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بخيرافي غيره. That this incident of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم stopping and offering the ride to Asma رضي الله عنه who was not his direct relative is something specific to Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم and not for others. فقد أمرنا بالمبا من أنفاس الرجال والنساء because Nabi صلى الله عليه وسلم commanded for there to be a separation between the physical bodies of the men and the women. وَكَانَتْ عَادَتُهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مُبَاعَدَتُهُنَّ And it was also the practice of Rasulullah to avoid any contact at all with the opposite gender. Why was that? So that his ummah will follow him. Right? And then some scholars have said that this was actually khas in that moment. It was specific to that moment. Because on one side you had Rasulullah with a group of companions. On the other side, it was in the Makanat Hadhi Khususiyatin Lahu Likonihab bint Abi Bakr wa Ukta Aisha. And secondly, she was a relative of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the sister of Aisha radiallahu anha, the daughter of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an, and the wife of Zubair ibn Awam radiallahu an. Ma ma khusabihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ma khusabihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, annahu amlak li irbihi. And also Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was. Rasulullah was also someone who never intended ill carnally in a passionate way towards someone from the opposite gender. Rasulullah was very, very, very modest. But anyway, from this riwaya we see an incident from the life of Sayyidah um, Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha. Now, Asma radiallahu anha, after Rasulullah sallallahu and, and Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anha arrived in Medina, she then started her hijrah as well, with some of the family members that were still behind. She narrates herself, that I was pregnant with Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anha in Mecca, and then I started my hijrah too. فَأَتَيْتُ الْمَدِينَةِ فَنَزَلْتُ بِقُبَاءِ فَوَلَدَتْ فَوَلَدَتْهُ Sorry. فَوَلَدْتُهُ There you go, that's better. She says that I arrived in, uh, I arrived, I traveled from Mecca to Medina. We then settled in Quba. That's where Rasulullah was. He was still waiting to go. So we arrived there. And that's where I gave birth to Abdullah bin Zubayr. Now this mother gave birth to the Prophet of Allah. I mean, to Abdullah bin Zubayr while the Prophet of Allah is in the city. And she just made this big sacrifice. She did hijrah. While pregnant, just internalize that. Someone catches a flight from Chicago to Dallas and they're like, oh yeah, this is a big deal. She migrated all the way from where to where? From Makkah, Mukarramah, all the way to Medina, Munawwara, while pregnant. 
So she takes her little baby and she brings the baby to Rasulullah hijrihi. And she said, I placed my little baby in the lap of Rasulullah Nabi asked for a date. He made it wet with his saliva. He chewed on it a little bit. Says, the first thing that entered into my little baby's body was the saliva of Rasulullah Because Nabi Sallallahu took that, that date and placed it in the child's mouth. Nabi made dua for my child and made dua that Allah puts barakah in my child's life and my child was the first to be born in Islam. That means after hijrah from the muhajirun, Abdullah bin Zubair was the first child to be born. So she's making reference to that. Asma radiallahu anha, now that she's in Medina, she is one of the close people to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa she has many interactions with the Prophet So many narrations from Asma radiallahu anha can be found in the Masanid, in the Hadith collections. And people actually come to her to learn Islam. If they want something clear, cleared up, they go to Asma radiallahu anha. And they also know that because she has this close relationship and bond with the Prophet if she ever gets stuck, Asma radiallahu anha can receive the clarification directly from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Asma radiallahu anha, she shares some of her observations, some of the special moments that she saw. One day she says, a lady came to visit Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and she said, O Messenger of Allah, I have a co-wife. جَاءَتْ إِلَى النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ إِمْرَاتٌ فَقَالَتْ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ إِنِّي عَلَيَّ ذَرَّةٌ ذَرَّةٌ means a place of harm, which was an Arabic word for co-wife. Right? Hilarious. So she says, I have a co-wife. فَهَلَ عَلَيَّ جُنَاحٌ أَنْ أَتَشَبَّعَ مِنْ زَوْجِي بِمَا لَمْ يُعْتِنِي Is it okay if I act like my husband gave me certain things that he didn't really give me to kind of stick it to her face? I want to stick it to her. So, فَهَلَ عَلَيَّ جُنَاحٌ أَنْ أَتَشَبَّعَ بِالتَّفَاعُلْ مِنْ زَوْجِي بِمَا لَمْ يُعْتِنِي فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ الْمُتَشَبِّعُ بِمَا لَمْ يُعْطَى كَلَابِسَيْ ثَوْبِ زُورٍ Nabi sallallahu said, The one who falsely presents themselves of having something they don't have, كَلَابِسِي ثَوْبِ زور is like the one wearing garments of lies. Right? You don't fake it. Like today's world is all about faking for no reason at all. We're trying to get the attention of people who don't care. Right? But Nabi sallallahu is teaching this lesson. Similarly, Asma radiallahu anha says that in Medina Munawwara, the Muslims were poor. كَانَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ ذَوِي الْحَاجَةِ كَانَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ ذَوِي الْحَاجَةٍ يَأْتَزِرُونَ بِهَذِهِ النَّمِرَةِ They would take these small leather garments and some, some fabric and they would tie it around their waist. It wasn't full pants, it wasn't a full length garment, something small, they would take it and tie it around their waist. She's talking about the men. So it would reach their mid shin area. It was a it was a smaller garment they were wearing. So then I heard Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say. So she first lays out the context. 
People didn't have a lot of wealth. They wore these smaller garments that would barely cover their bodies. And one time, because everyone would come to the masjid, you can see the conundrum. The women would pray in the back part of the masjid. And what is agreed upon by all muhaddithun, there was no divider between the men and women in the mosque of Rasulullah Now, there are many reasons why, but this is a fact. Now, the other thing that she's saying is that when the men would pray, they had these small garments on. So if the women got up from sajda first, they would see the aura of the men. Now bear in mind how Rasulullah handles this. So Asma radiallahu anha says, سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يَقُولُ مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ يَعْنِي النِّسَاءَ فَلَا تَرْفَعْ رَأْسَهَا حَتَّى نَرْفَعُ رُؤُسَنَا She says, I heard Rasulullah saying to the women, that whoever from you believes, Allah, believes in Allah and in the final day, should not raise their head from sajda until the men stand up first. Let them stand up. Because if they stand up, they will be able to cover themselves, and then the women should cover them, uh, raise themselves. Karahiyata an tanzura ila rijali min sigari uzurihim. Why did Nabi Sallallahu tell the women to wait when getting up from salah, when getting up from sajda, so they would not see the private areas of the men because of their smaller, skimpier garments that they had on due to lack of access to materials. She's sharing how Rasulullah taught us the lesson of modesty. How Nabi taught us to lower our gaze and know that there's accountability. With This is how you create societies. This is how you create communities. You take the lesson of taqwa to the hearts of the listener, to the hearts of the believer. That if you have taqwa, then you can save yourself from sin. Otherwise, if not this one, then the next one, shaitan is waiting for you. If not this corner, then the next one, shaitan is waiting for you, and he's gonna wipe you off your feet. Asma radiallahu anha, um, to, it, it's this particular riwayah that I'm gonna share with you guys now, we read it today also in hadith class, in Mishkat al-Musabih, in Mishkat 2, we read this exact same riwayah. Asma radiallahu anha says, if you're wondering why are we reading all these garment narrations, because we're reading Kitab al-Libas over there. The whole chapter is about garments and clothing. So Asma radiallahu anha, she says in this next riwayah, that, um, that she had a garment that belonged to Rasulullah with small amounts of um, silk on it. It had silk in the, um, in the neck area, in the collar area. And also the opening of the sleeves had small bits of, um, of, uh, of harir, of silk there. And Sahib Mishkat, when he narrates the hadith, he narrates it why? To show that even men are not supposed to wear garments made of silk, but if there is a small amount of silk on it, a minority of the garment has small patches of silk, then it is permissible. And he proves that through this hadith of Asma radiallahu anha, that she had a garment that belonged to Rasulullah and it had small little bits of, of, of silk on it. Qalat, she said, هَذِهِ جُبَّةُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ كَانَ يَلْبَسُهَا كَانَتْ عِنْدِ عَائِشَةً فَلَمَّا قُبِدَتْ عَائِشَةُ قَبَضْتُهَا إِلَيَّ وَنَحْنِ نَغْسِلُهَا لِلْمَرِيدِ مِنَّا يُسْتَشْفَى بِهَا She says that this was a garment of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم after the Prophet passed away, it remained in the possession of my sister. And when my sister Aisha رضي الله عنها passed away, I then took possession of the jubbah of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم. So when someone is sick in the community, and if someone isn't well, 
We take this garment of the Prophet of Allah, we wash it, and the water from there is given to the sick for their cure. This is authentic narration. That Asma radiallahu anha says that we used to wash the garment of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the water taken from that garment, tabaruk bin Nabi, athar al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we would then give it to the sick, hoping that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would grant them cure. In the first part of the lecture, I told you that Asma radiallahu anha's mother, Qutayla, the first wife of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an, did not accept Islam. And it was for that reason that Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an, then went on to divorce her. He separated himself from her. Later on, during the period of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, because there was going to be no war, people now openly started traveling. People went from Mecca to Medina, Medina to Mecca, there was this open, open travel, come and go. Asma radiallahu anha says that it was in that time that my mother came to visit me. She came to Medina. And she was needy. She didn't have wealth. She seemed to be struggling. Asma radiallahu anha wasn't sure if she was supposed to be kind to her mother or not. What's her question? My mother's not Muslim. Which means she doesn't believe in you, O Messenger of Allah. And if she doesn't believe in you, then what, what do I actually have in common with her? For her, that was a hard point. So she went to Rasulullah to ask, Afa Should I maintain bonds with my mother? Should I take care of her? Should I financially support her? Qala na'am, sili ummaki. Nabi said, Yes, maintain your bonds with your mother. And Ibn Zubayr says, It was because of this that the ayah was revealed. He says, The ayah was revealed in response to my mother. My mother was a part of the, of the revelation of the ayah, the cause of the revelation of the ayah. لا ينهاكم الله عن الذين لم يقاتلوكم في الدين ولم يخرجوكم من دياركم أن تبروهم وتقصدوا إليهم. That Allah does not prevent you from maintaining bonds with people who are not combatants. Someone's not fighting with you, and even if they're non-Muslim, doesn't mean you have to turn away from them. أن تبروهم وتقصدوا إليهم. إن الله يحب المقصدين. In Surah Mumtahina. Now there's one more incident that I want to share with you of Asma رضي الله عنها. Greatness begets greatness. Asma radiallahu anha learned her courage, her strength, her knowledge, her wisdom from the people that were around her. And in her care, she was raising a great future leader, Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anha. Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anha ends up being appointed as a khalifa in response to the corrupt Umayyads, who basically ruled and governed out of Sham, the people of the Hijaz, Mecca, Medina, and also Misr, Iraq, parts of Khurasan, they didn't like the Umayyads. They felt that these people were worldly, materialistic people, and they didn't have a good, they didn't have a good streak for ruling. They weren't doing it well. And they also took a very hard stance against many of the senior Sahaba of Rasulullah Everyone knows about how they dealt with Hussein radiallahu anhu. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, punish those who wronged the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anhu was appointed as Khalifa. The Umayyads weren't too happy and they wanted to crush him. He ran his Khilafah from Makkah Mukarramah. 
The Umayyads wanted to crush him, so they sent their most stern and ruthless general to go and squash this, this what they viewed as a rebellion against the Khilafah in Mecca. And the person who they appointed on their armies was Hajjaj bin Yusuf, Al-Thaqafi. Abdullah bin Zubayr had a strong army. He gathered them all together. Hajjaj bin Yusuf and his army, they came and they surrounded Mecca. Hajjaj um, started you know, sending flyers to these people that were, that were um, you know, closed off. That you have to go now to Rafah and you have to go to South Gaza. We're giving you this many days. You know, they pass out these token flyers. So he started doing that too. That all the people that are here, if you leave, we will spare you. We don't want to kill anyone. Whoever's here, get out, get out, get out, get out. They're trying to get everyone out of there. They were trying to get people to turn against Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu and abandon him. Unfortunately, it worked. And at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu had a large group of people around him. Hajjaj bin Yusuf was so ruthless. I mean, he literally fired a, a rocket, if you wish to say, a minjaniq, a catapult at the Kaaba. That's who this man was. And so many of them, they then defected. Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu was left with just a handful of people. And before he took the last standing against Hajjaj bin Yusuf, there is this iconic interaction that happens between Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu and his mother, Asma' radiallahu anha, who most historians say at that point, was a hundred years old. She was very old at this time. Somebody Wayat also tell us that she couldn't see anymore. So Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anh, he comes to visit, visit his mother one last time. He gives her salam. Assalamu alaykum ya ummah wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So then she gives her salam back to her son and says, why have you come at this time? while the catapults are being launched in what sounds like is a war outside. What are you doing here? You're supposed to be outside. So he says to his mom, I came to get your advice. Asma radiallahu anha says, you want my advice on what? Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu He says to his mother that everyone has abandoned me. All of my soldiers left. There's only a few of us. Some of them left because they were terrified of Hajjaj. Others left because Hajjaj lured, him with, lured them with promises. And I only have a few moments left. What do you think I should do? Should I surrender? Or should I fight till the end? Asma radiallahu anha said, Stay where you are. You know yourself better than anyone. If you believe in the truth, and you call to the truth, then be patient, just like your companions who, were, who have been killed already. And if you want dunya, and if you're running away, then you are a wretched servant of Allah, who has destroyed himself and destroyed his soldiers. So then he says to his mom, I'll be dead by the end of the day. 
I'll be, end by, I'll be dead by the end of the day, if I continue. He, she says to him, then that is the best outcome for you, that you'll be a shaheed. He said, I don't fear death. However, what I fear is that they will mutilate my body after I'm gone. قالت, there is nothing to fear after death. A slaughtered sheep doesn't feel the pain of being skinned. You will have been gone. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you like He rewards all of the shuhada. What a Mubarak mother. And what a Mubarak son. So then, Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anh says to his mother, Mom, it's time for me to go and take my last stand. So when I die, don't grieve my loss. Rather, leave my affairs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She said, how will a mother not grieve the loss of her son? Innama ahzanu alik. I will cry. I will miss you. You're my son. And it's fascinating that she says this because it shows us that what she's saying to her son to be courageous and strong isn't because, isn't because she doesn't feel. She loves her child like any mother. Whether you're a hundred years old or a thousand years old, a mother loves her child. But she's firm that go. You go and fight. Be strong. My du'as are with you. So then he says to his mom, when she says that she will grieve over him, he says, "Kuni ala thiqatin bi anna ibnaki lam yata'ammad ityana munkirin qatt." Then, mom, I'm telling you, be happy in the fact that your son Abdullah never disobeyed Allah intentionally. Wala amila bi fahishatin qatt. I was never inappropriate with anyone in my life. I'm your son. Walam yajur fi hukmi Allah. I never oppressed anyone when it came to the matter of Allah. وَلَمْ يَغْدُرْ فِي أَمَانٍ I never betrayed a trust. وَلَمْ يَتَعَمَّدْ ظُلْمَ مُسْلِمٍ I never oppressed another Muslim. وَلَا مُعَاهِدْ And neither a mu'ahid, someone who has an agreement and contract with the Muslims. O oh my mother, I don't say this to purify myself, for Allah knows of my true state. But I say this so I can console you after I die and your heart finds peace, and you are proud of your son. So then the mother, she smiles and says, all praises for Allah, who made you in such a fashion that He loves you, and Baba, I love you too. فِيمَا يُحِبُّ In a fashion that He loves you and I love you. اِقْتَرِبْ مِنِّي يَا بُنَيْ Come close to me, my son. لِأَتَشَمَّمَ رَاحْتِ so I may smell you one last time and touch your skin one more time. You can just imagine the mother who handed off this baby to Rasulullah and saw Nabi place his saliva in the child's mouth and she says, Give me one last hug. Abdullah Abdullah fell forward on her hands. Asma radiallahu anha, she pulled her hand back and she began to touch him. And she says to him, ma ya Abdullah? What is this that you're wearing? 
قَالَ دِرْعِي He said, this is my armor. She said, مَا هَذَا يَا بُنَيَّ لِبَاسُ مَنْ يُرِيدُ الشَّهَادَةَ Those seeking shahada don't wear armor. Take it off. So he inza'aha ank. So he took it off. And he went on into the battlefield. And Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anh, right before he leaves, he says to his mother, Mama, my last request to you is make dua for me. I'm heading out. And his mother made a very beautiful dua, very beautiful dua in favor of her son. And ultimately, he was killed by Hajjaj bin Yusuf and gained the honor of martyrdom. After he was martyred, Hajjaj bin Yusuf came to visit Asma radiallahu anha. Imam Bahabi radiallahu narrates this in his seer alam al-nubala. لَمَّا قَتَلَ الْحَجَّاجُ ibn الزُّبَيْرِ When Hajjaj killed Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anhu, دَخَلَ عَلَىٰ أَسْمَىٰ وَقَالَ لَهَا يَا أُمَّهِ He came to her and said, Oh mother, إِنَّ أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَصَّانِي بِكَ فَهَلَّكِ مِنْ حَجَةِ That the Khalifa, the Umayyad Khalifa told me to take care of you. Is there anything I can do for you? قَالَتْ لَسْتُ لَكَ بِأُمِّن She said, don't call me mom. You killed my son. I'm not your mother. I am the son of the one that was hung, the one that was killed. I have no need of you. However, I am a companion of Rasulullah. So I will share with you a hadith, a wretched man. I will share a hadith with you. سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يَقُولُ يَخْرُجُ مِنْ ثَقِيفٍ كَذَّابٌ وَمُبِيرٌ فَأَمَّا الْكَذَّابٌ فَقَدْ رَأَيْنَاهُ تَعْنِي الْمُخْتَارِ الثَّقَفِي He was the false prophet, Mukhtar al-Thaqafi. وَأَمَّا الْمُبِيرُ فَأَنْتَ As for the one that will cause destruction in the ummah and destroy everything, Mubir, هُوَ الَّذِي يَسْرِكُ الدِّمَاءِ the one that the Prophet ﷺ said that from Ta'if will come two people, a liar and a man that will wreak havoc. The liar was Mukhtar al-Thaqafi who claimed to be a prophet. We know who he was. And as for the one that will wreak havoc on the ummah, Asma radiallahu anha says, that is you and I have no doubt in it at all. Hajjaj was a very insensitive human being. He could have just walked away. But he said, Mubirul munafiqeen. I only wreck, or I only bring... Uh, difficulty uh, on the hypocrites and your son was a hypocrite. Asma radiallahu anha then left her home and she went to the gates of Makkah. Hajjaj bin Yusuf hung the body of Abdullah bin Zubayr on the gates of Makkah to make a, a, a show, a symbol that you never turn against the, the Umayyads. This will be your outcome. So she went to the body of her son and she said, Has a time not come for my horseman now to descend from his animal? Abdullah, it's enough. And she lowered the body of him, of Abdullah bin Zubayr. In that moment, Hajjaj bin Yusuf said, Munafiq, that your son's a hypocrite. So Asma radiallahu anha said, Wallahi ma kana munafiqan, kana sawwaman qawwaman birran. My son was no munafiq. He was an obedient son. 
He worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was one that fasted frequently. So Hajjaj bin Yusuf said to her, In sarifiya ajus qad kharifti. Turn away old, old, women, old woman, your mind has gone bad. Very Batamiz. He spoke to Asma radiallahu anha like this. The one who brought food to Rasulullah during Hijrah. He's saying, Kharifti, that your brain has gone bad. So Asma radiallahu anha, then uh, she repeated that riwayah. That Kadhab and Mubir, you're the Mubir. You're the one that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa warned us of. Ibn Sa'd narrates that after the passing of Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anha, matat ba'da ibniha bilayalin. Asma radiallahu anha only lived a few days. Abdullah bin Zubayr radiallahu anhu was martyred in the year 73 after Hijrah, in the month of Jamada al-Ula, the 17th. And a few days after that, in that very same month, Asma radiallahu anha departed from this world. From the story of Asma radiallahu anha, we learn the lesson of courage. That how she learned it from her family, and then went on to pass on this legacy. She transferred this legacy, she passed it on to her own children. This is how strong Muslims are made. This is how strong Iman is built. The people, the heads of the household have to be strong. Asma radiallahu anha benefited tremendously from her suhbah uh, with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the other sahaba, and she passed that on to her children. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to walk in her footsteps and strengthen our Iman like her Iman was and give us the ability to sacrifice for the deen just as she did. وصلى الله تعالى على سيدنا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته